So glad you guys are here. Glad you're here. Uh, if you would turn with me to the book of Ephesians. Uh, we are wading through Ephesians, and hasn't it been rich? It's been rich. The book of Ephesians. We're going to go... Um, our verses of concentration will be in verses 14 to 21. 14 to 21. And the title of this message, the title of this sermon is Everything in God. Everything in God. The Christian has everything in God. I remember I had a coworker when I was working as a recruiter before. And she told me this story about her grandmother. And I thought it was a fantastic story because... Her grandmother, as she was getting older and older in age, uh, she struggled to make it financially. Day to day, her medical bills piled on, um, and inflation caused such difficulty as her uh, uh, Social Security checks came in. She eventually died, but later as her grown children were cleaning out her place, they started to find Social Security checks in the curtains or in the furniture. And I'm not making this story up. This is a true story, okay? My co-worker Bonnie, not this Bonnie, another Bonnie. Okay? And she told me that her grandma put all the checks or many of the checks, her pension checks, her social security checks, many of them were in the mattress. And as the, as the, um, um, the kids, they started to, the children, they're grown-up kids, they started to, open up the furniture because they didn't want to miss any of these checks. And they just kept going and kept going, and they even found some in the wall. So they just ripped apart the house, and they got a lot of money. I think it was somewhere in the order of hundreds of thousands, over 100 grand. Okay. And Grandma was struggling like a pauper because she was having, and what they so soon realized is as, as she was growing older in age, she started to develop dementia, and so she forgot where she put them. She forgot where she put them. Uh, the, good, the good story is all the kids piled the money together. They were able to get them re, uh, reissued, and they bought a nice cabin in Lake Tahoe for the family. Right? That's how much money they had. They bought a cabin in Lake Tahoe, and so now they go for the family, and they remember Grandma that way. But I think the sad thing is all the while, Grandma was struggling financially. With much unneeded financial strain and stress, she was sitting, she was sitting on her relief of financial freedom. But she didn't use it. She lived as a pauper when she was actually well-to-do. You see, sometimes Christians live this way. Sometimes you live this way. Sometimes I live this way. Sometimes I live as if I am not rich in Christ. Sometimes I live as if I don't have that forgiveness. Sometimes I live like I don't have that resource, that treasure of strength to get through trials in my day. Sometimes I don't have that, uh, I don't live in the atmosphere of love that God has given to me. And I live this, and I, this life that kind of just ekes out an existence, but is not thriving. It's not growing. 
It's not strong in faith. The Ephesians were having these problems. In the book of uh, Ephesians, uh, the church there in Ephesus, Paul writes to them, and he's writing this letter from a prison. And so he's very concerned. Part of it is because they, he knows that they're going to face trials themselves. They're going to face persecution. They're Christians. This is the first century. Uh, they already have started the persecutions, and Paul is in Rome. He's in a jail. And he tells them in verse 13, if you notice, he says, Therefore I ask you not to lose heart at my tribulations on your behalf, for they're your glory. Uh, Brother Manny, can I ask you to turn on the AC? Because I could already feel it. I'm getting hot. Right? And he says, Don't lose heart at my tribulations on your behalf. He tells them not to lose heart over the trials that they face. Don't become weary. Don't be tired. Don't despair. See, they were worried that Paul was suffering for testifying of Christ. They were worried that their leader was never going to come out again. And we know that Paul would later be beheaded, right? They were worried of the idea of not having a leader. They didn't know if they had the strength to continue. Notice he says here, Therefore, I ask you not to lose heart at my tribulations on your behalf, for they are your glory. Paul says this is the absolute opposite of what they believed. They believed that Paul's suffering for being a Christian would have dire consequences because of their association with him. They thought it would cause more persecution and problems, but Paul was confident. You notice here, Paul, he's confident because he was assured of the storehouse of resources that is in Christ for daily living. Yes, brothers and sisters, I want to say this this morning. Christ has a daily storehouse for you to live now. He knew that in Christ, all they had to do is live what they already had, very much like my friend's grandma. You have the resources. But how do you live a life like this? How do you live a life that can withstand the pressure and trials of, of, of the difficulties of life? Loss of a job, relationships broken, sin in your life. How do you live strong and joyful? How can you thrive in Christ and not just eke out an existence in this world and just try and make it day to day and just try and exist? Yeah, I believe Jesus is my Savior. I believe he's my Lord, but it really doesn't affect me here in Oceanside. It really doesn't change my outlook and how I live here in Vista. It doesn't change uh, how I look when I go to my job in San Marcos. How does it affect you? How does it change you? Turn with me to Ephesians 3. I'm going to read here, verse 14. For this reason, Paul is concerned for them. And he says, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and depth. Verse 19, notice. And to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge. 
that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. God gave this passage to you this morning so that you will access all the resources available to you to live a Christ-glorifying life. I'm going to say this again, okay? God gave this passage to you. He is speaking to you through this word. Okay? This morning, so that you will access all the resources available to you to live a Christ-glorifying life. In this passage, there are two keys to access these resources. There are two keys to access these resources so that you do not live like a pauper, so that you do not live without strength, so that you do not live without love in your heart. And he first, the first, my first point in, in verses 14 to 19 is the first section, and then verses 22, 21 is the second section. So the first section the first section, uh, if you're following around in the notes, is ask. Ask for God's help. This has to be a constant dependence on God in your heart. Notice Paul says this. He says, for this reason I bow my knees before the Father. There's this invitation for this reason. Well, what reason, Paul? Why do you have God? Why are you confident for these people? Why are you confident now as a Christian? Why do you have this confidence? Well, he just was busy in, in chapter 1 and in chapter 2 telling us, starting from verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. And he spends two chapters telling you of the riches that you have in Christ. And we've spent a long time talking about this. The reason why we spend a long time talking about this is to convince you of it. If, in fact, you do know the Lord Jesus Christ, you have been elected. Notice it says here, verse 4, just as he chose us in him, in love, you have been predestined to adoption. You've been brought into his family. Notice he says, in him we have redemption. Verse 7, you have been forgiven of your sins. Uh, verse 7 as well, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished, he poured, he gushed forth. He says there, in all wisdom and insight, he made known to us the mystery of his will. And he goes on and on and on. Verse 15, notice he prays for their spirit of wisdom that they would have. In verse 19, what is the surpassing greatness of his power? The working of his strength, which he brought back in Christ. He goes on and on. And then in chapter 2, he talks about what God has done. In chapter 2, he talks about your past. If, in fact, you know the Lord Jesus Christ, the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, it says, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. You were hopeless. You had no way of getting out. And then it says, in which you formerly walked according to the course of the world according to the prince of the power of the air of the spirit that is now working with us you walked in your lust of your flesh you were mastered you were dominated by it and then in verse four 
Verse 4 of chapter 2, he says, But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love, with which he loved us, made us alive together with him. Paul keeps unraveling and he keeps telling you what God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit has done. You see, Christianity isn't so much about what you do. It's about what God has done. Amen? And you are the recipients of that. So Paul says, you are rich, and I know you're going to go through trials. So this is the reason why you have to ask. I'm asking for you. You need to ask for this as well. This has got to be your default. Okay? This has got to be your default. Asking for help from God. You see, as... As we grow up and as we learn about accomplishments and going to college and going to grad school and doing all these things and even having athletic prowess and learning new skills and doing all these things, what we start to do and what we start to feel is, I did this. I was ultimately the source of strength. I was ultimately the source of ingenuity. I created all of this. And what Paul is saying is, if you really understand who's created the universe and how he has fixed you and how he has changed you and how he has caused you to come to know him, if you've really done that, right? He says this, that you will ascribe and ask God for strength. He says, I bow my knees. He's not prescribing a specific position. The Bible speaks many, in many places of praying while standing. Right? But more, he's saying, Paul says, I bow my knees. And what he's talking about is, when I come to God, there are three things that are in my heart. I revere him. I respect him. It is a condition of my heart. So I come to him and I revere him and I respect him. I come in humility. I know that I can't do this on my own. And then I come in confidence. Notice in verse 12. This is why Paul goes there. He's actually taking his own advice. Verse 12. In whom we have boldness and confident access through faith in him. Again, in whom we have boldness and confident access through faith in him. So Paul says you can ask for help. Jesus has made it possible for you to go to the Father. And there's the next phrase. Paul could have used any phrase. It's amazing. He says, if you want help, you can ask the warrior king. Okay, He could have said that. If you want help, you can ask the despot. You can ask the, matri the, the patriarch. You could, ask the, what it, you could ask the king. You can ask the potentate. He could use all those terms. You can ask the sovereign, but what does Paul use inspired by the Holy Spirit? He says, ask the Father. The Father. See, this is an invitation to come. Your relationship now in Christ is not one of slave and servant, 
servitude. Your relationship to Christ is not of a master and a slave. Your relationship to Christ is not that of a, of a, of a dictator and, and a captured prisoner. Your relationship to Christ is, or to God, the, to God is Father. And this, this is why you ought to come. Because why? You know he's going to act for you. You know he's going to move. Lele doesn't ask for help from me because she doesn't think I'll move. She asks because she knows I'm going to get up. Right? She moves. Now, he says, from every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. And so what he's doing is he's saying that every believing family, this is how I take it, every believing family. And the reason being is because he says in verse 21, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. He's talking about those who have been saved, who have been changed. It's within the context that he is their father and every single person who knows the Lord Jesus can be called a son and daughter. Of God. And so he says that invitation to ask, but you notice, I think we gotta stop here, okay? I notice even in my life, okay, even in my life, I, I notice there are some inconsistencies in my life, okay? That I was not asking God for help, was not asking God for strength. In in big things, yeah, but in little things, sometimes I say, I can do this. I got this. I got this, right? And I notice that every single time, I hope you guys have learned this, every single time that you think you can do this in your own motivation, in your own flesh, in your own power, you have fallen on your face. Have you ever tried living the holy life, living a Christ-like life on your own? You're going to fall. But I remember as I was looking at my life and I was looking at um, how I was dealing with my kids, I remember there, um, I don't believe in, I hope you guys know this, this is personal, I don't believe in coddling kids. I hope you guys know that. I just don't believe in it. I don't, they will never be prepared for life, right? They won't. Life is hard. But what I started to notice was that I was not taking this, this scripture in its context and I was not taking it to heart. Why? Because when my kids would start to have difficult times, my first reaction is, here's my first reaction. For me, it's I got to depend on God. For them, my first reaction is toughen up. Toughen up. You could do it. Toughen up. You could do it. Toughen up. And I was noticing there's, there's a disconnect. I'm telling people and I'm preaching to uh, people, you need to ask God for strength. You need to ask God for love. And on the, with, with my mouth, my bifurcated mouth, one way is talking this way and the other way is talking this way where I say, toughen up. You could do it. You have the power within you. Whereas on the other side, on a Sunday morning, I might be preaching you need to rely on Christ. You need to rely on his strength. And I noticed that I was not connecting the dots. Have you ever been there? That my parenting was not matching my theology. You ever been there? Just me? 
You guys got it all taken care of, right? You got parenting done, right? I was not connecting, and I had to realize that those times of weakness that my kids were sharing with me was those opportunities to shepherd them in the gospel. So rather than saying, toughen up, right? You could do it. You got it. And that's the, that's the message of the world. The answer's in you. Believe in yourself. It's so opposite from what Scripture teaches. Trust in your heart. The Bible says, he who trusts in his heart is a fool. But what does it say? So how did I make that connection? Well, by God's grace, I noticed that when there was weakness in my family, in me, in my wife, and they confided in me, rather than say, get up! We said, do you want to pray? You want to ask God for strength? Yeah, let's, let's do that. So we would pray, and even in the tears, even if I thought it was a little thing, you could swim these laps? Come on, stop it! Let's go! Right? But even in that fear, I had to stop and remember, I am not one who is autonomous and has all strength. I don't have the storehouse of strength, but I know who does. What? Who? God the Father. And so what we did is we started to stop and say, let's pray. God, give so-and-so the energy to, and the power to finish their laps or to finish their jujitsu practice or to finish their math because they hate math. God, give them strength, we pray, for your glory that they can get through this. And although when we say these things in our mouths, when we say these things, we kind of laugh. Oh, those aren't really trials, but you know what, brothers and sisters? It's as almost, we, we are just like that. You ever see yourself in your own kids? Crying for things when... We think they're huge because we have not gone to God. Right? You have not gone to God and you've been relying on your own flesh and your own strength and you've fallen on your face. Huh? So Paul says you've got to have a pattern of asking. I'm asking for you. You ask for yourself. Brothers and sisters, do you ask for strength? Do you ask for that? Notice, what is the power that he gives? Verses 16 to 19. So that was his invitation. And then here is his aid, his aid. Verses 16 and 19. There are two things. Two things, okay? Two things. Number one is power and number two is love. Not trying to sound like a cliche, but this is all you need, brothers and sisters. Power and love. Power and love. Notice, power that he would grant you in response to a dependent and humble and reverent prayer to God. Then he says, according, verse 16, okay, according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man. So here's, he, here's what he's saying. I pray that he would grant you to be strengthened with power. And all the rest are modifying clauses. And what he's saying is, the way that I give strength, 
way that I give power is not a miserly power. It's not a, a little bit of help. It's not if you have an, a debt of $100,000 and I give you a penny. Notice what he says. He says, I will give according to the riches of his glory. According to the riches. The word there, riches, is wealth. And we already saw in Ephesians chapter 1 and in chapter 2, all that he has for the believer. You've got to understand this and internalize it. Bring it forefront in your mind. Who you are in Christ. List out the blessings and the riches. He says, according to, this means you give in proportion to what you have. Now, if you ask a guy to give, who makes about maybe seventy-five dollars or $80,000 a year, if you ask him to give a donation to a charity, it would be a big, a big giving if he gave five grand, ten grand. That's huge, right? Good for you. You gave to a charity, okay. If you're Mark Zuckerberg, CEO of Facebook, you better lay down some money. You understand? Why? Oh, let, me, let, me, let me read a little uh, thing I saw on um, Wikipedia. In, two, in December 2012, Zuckerberg and his wife Priscilla Chan announced they would give the majority of their wealth over the course of their lives to advancing human potential and promoting equality in the spirit of the giving pledge. On December 1st, 2015, Kate, are you falling? They announced they would give 99% of their Facebook shares worth about $45 billion at the time to the Chan Zuckerberg Initiative. $45 billion. I don't even know how many zeros that. Okay, and that is just a portion, okay, of what they have. Now, the reason why the Holy Spirit put this word here, he says, notice, he says, that he would grant you to be strengthened, right? But in between, sandwiched in there is this phrase, according to the riches of his glory. Zuckerberg is a rich man, but my God owns every cattle on a thousand hills. Everything. He owns everything that Zuckerberg owns. He really does. He owns the universe. He, earn, he owns the whole, all of the planets and everything that revolves. He owns all the galaxies. He spun them into space. Amen? He made them just by, from ex nihilo, out of nothing, just by the proclamation of his word. He made and he created and he owns. Now, let and he sent his son for you, brothers and sisters. And as you have all these blessings, let me tell you, this father does not give like Scrooge. He does not give like a miser. He is not um, stingy. He gives according to his riches. It's a shame that we don't ask, isn't it? Why is God the last person you go to when you're having problems? Huh? You're, 
you keep going. Well, I got to get this done. Here's my list. I'm getting it done. Oh, no, nothing's happening here. Oh, no, something's happening with that person. I don't know what to deal with. I don't know how to do it. And then at the end, at the end, you go to God. Why? Why do you live like a pauper all the way until you have nowhere else to go and then you go to God? Go to him now. He's there for you now. You need strength. He'll give it to you now. Amen. The phrase there to be strengthened with power means to increase in stamina. Correct use of power there. The word power there is not a blind. Um, I don't know how to say this like a, a brutish power without any um, correct uh, functionality. I don't know how to explain it. Right? There's a functional strength. It's a functional strength, a functional power that is there. Okay? Um, and you notice Paul says, when you are going through trial, Paul doesn't, notice what he's praying for. He doesn't say, okay, I pray that you get the parking space in Costco next to the hot dogs. So it's easier. Or he doesn't say, I pray, you know, I pray that you get that promotion, although it's a good thing, right? Or he doesn't say, I pray, I pray that you are able to find that best prime spot on the beach. Okay? He doesn't say that. He prays for spiritual things because this is what you really need. You may not even think you need it. But in the day of trouble, believe me, brothers and sisters, you are going to need this strength. And you are going to know, need to know where to find it. And if you are thinking you have it in yourself, you are going to have a very short, short trip. It's better to go to him now. It's better to go to him uh, as a regular practice of life, right? Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 12. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. We're going to go from trials of greater to the lesser, okay? So Paul has had more trials than I have. Look at uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 12. I think he's gone through a little bit more than what you have for the cause of Christ. Just a little bit. Maybe just a little bit. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Notice he says, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself, it was given a thorn in the flesh. Some, some commentators say it was a disease. Others say it was an actual teacher because it was a messenger of Satan. I lean towards that, a messenger of Satan to torment me, to keep me from exalting myself. Concerning this, I implored the Lord three times that it would leave me. In verse 9, notice, he doesn't necessarily take you out of trial. God sometimes puts the trial in your life so that you would turn to him for strength. Notice he says here, my grace is sufficient for you for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, notice what happens. When I am tapped into the power of Christ, when I am depending and praying for it, when I'm relying on the strength of God and resting in his truth, notice he says here, 
I'm well content. What? What are you content with, Paul? With weaknesses. With insults, verse 19. Oh, verse 10, excuse me. With distresses. With persecutions. With difficulties for Christ's sake. Why? For when I am weak, then I am strong. And what Paul is saying here is at your weak moments in your life, run to him. Run to him. Run to him. Go back to um, go back to Ephesians. In Ephesians, he says, "How how does he strengthen?" In, in the Ephesians chapter three, how does he strengthen? Notice he says here in verse uh, verse sixteen. He would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man. God is the only one who can get right down to the nitty gritty, deep, deep into the heart, the seat and the center of your emotions and your will. He can get deep down there. And how do you yield? How do you yield to his spirit? I'll just read you some verses. Ephesians 1 and 13 in him after listening to the message of truth. This is how you yield to the Spirit. This is how you yield to him so that he can strengthen you in your inner man. What's happening? And, and I'm noticing this. I'm noticing this even as I'm growing and I'm on the mat. Sometimes these, uh, these uh, Marines are out there and man, they've got guns like my legs. You know what I mean? Their biceps are right here. And, and, and I, I'm not as fast and I, I'm not as, as agile and I'm not as strong. Definitely not as strong, right? So i got to think my way out of things. But as we were on the mat, right, I noticed that um, I have to work out differently. I have to concentrate on my flexibility. I can't go heavy on the weight anymore as much as I used to because my outer man is decaying. Do you understand? Do you understand? I am putting up a big fight. Okay? But I know in the end I'm going to lose. You know why? Because of Genesis 3. Okay? We have a curse. And then in Christ we will be resurrected with new bodies and everything like that. But I know in this life I'm going to lose. Okay? But I'm going to put up a big fight. I'm going to fight my whole life. Here's the difference, okay? That's your outer man. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Your outer man is decaying, right? God strengthens you where? In your inner man. So what happens is, even as you grow older and your body starts to decay, Manny, I'm not talking about you, okay? As your body starts to decay, right? And as you start, start to lose its strength, what happens is God can inversely strengthen you inside. So you can become stronger on the inside while you're growing weaker on the outside. And in fact, there are saints, there are believers who love Jesus Christ and who have a passion for his glory. I've seen in their 80s die glorious deaths 
with passion in their heart, stronger in their faith in Christ, and able to go right through trials by the power of Jesus Christ. I have seen that. I have marveled. Yield to his spirit. Yield to his word because it's the truth that's going to gird you up. Notice, through his spirit in the inner man. How do you get more of his spirit? You get more of his truth. You get more of his truth. Why? Because the spirit is the author of his truth. Notice Ephesians 4.21. I'm just going to go through um, some of Ephesians. In Ephesians 4.21, what does he say? In 4.21, he says, If indeed you have heard him and have been taught in him just as truth is in Jesus. Verse 24. And put on the new self, which is the likeness of God, has been created in righteousness and holiness of truth. Chapter 5, verse 9. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness and righteousness and truth. Trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. This is how you yield to the Spirit. Chapter 6, verse 14. Standing firm, therefore. Okay, now this is, this is going to be in our series about the armor of God. Standing firm, therefore, having girded your loins with what? What is going to make you strong? Truth. And having put on the breastplate of righteousness and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel. It is truth that roots the man. That strengthens the man. Deep within. Only where God can work. Even when the outer man is decaying. Turn back to Ephesians chapter 3. He says, in Ephesians 3, notice he says, Strengthen through his spirit in the inner man, verse 16, then he says, verse 17, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And now he relates it here. How is it that you strengthen me, God? How is it that you give me power? Am I like the Hulk? I get angry and I just get big? How is it that you give me strength? What Paul says by the Holy Spirit, is he says this, as you dwell in truth and as you yield to his truth in the Holy Spirit, what the Spirit does, notice he says here, Christ may dwell in your hearts. The Spirit mediates the very presence of Christ in the trial. He's with you. This is why it says even in, in Psalm 23, even though I walk in the shadow, valley of the shadow of death, I will not fear. Why? For thou, what? Art with me. And so in order for Christ to dwell in you, this is not the, um, the permanent indwelling of the Holy Spirit. What this is, is this word means to welcome, to welcome Christ. So as you yield in your life truth, as you yield to the Spirit, you are welcoming Christ into your heart to take over. And that's how he will strengthen you. Now I know there was a, there was a difficult time this was in 2006. My mom had, she had uh, gangrene in both of her kidneys. And she lost them, right? She had already battled breast cancer and she had a mastectomy. And she was in bad shape. And as she was, there was no hope for her. She was, she was on her way out. There was organ failure and it was going, out, going down that way. And my brother and I, it was just 
me and Micah, we, we, uh, as we had to make this decision, I just noticed I was leaning on Christ a lot more. You ever get there before? You're going through a hard time and you're leaning on Christ a lot more. I hear this all the time. Even though I'm going through difficult times, I feel like I'm closer to Christ. Have you ever been there? Have you? This is what that verse is saying. When you have to make those decisions, when you feel alone, when you feel weak, like you can't even get, you feel like you don't even want to get out of bed, you just kind of want to stick that pillow over your head and just let the world go by. It is in that moment you cry out to him. You rest in his truth. The Holy Spirit will mediate the very presence of Christ and you will know that Christ is with you in the trial. Just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. It's that fourth man in the fire with you. Amen? Amen? He's with you. And let's try and finish up He gives you strength. He gives you love. He gives you love. Notice he says here that you, he gives you love in verse 17 is that next section. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge. And he has two aspects of this love, you have to understand. Number, four, I mean, you have to know. First is understanding his love. Second, it is experiencing his love. Notice he says here, understanding his love, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you may be rooted and grounded in love. He does not give power without love. I think this is wonderful. He is not a cold dictator that can display power, but does not care for his people. This is, uh, and he has, there can be, no, he attaches his power and his love together for his people. You notice he says there, what, what does love do? It causes you to be rooted and grounded. Rooted and grounded. The word there, rooted, comes from the word rhizomes, if you know, if you've studied biology. It's what fixes you in the ground. The word there for grounded is the word that means to establish or to cause a foundation. And what uh, God is saying is when you know and you have experienced and you have comprehended and studied the love of God in its breadth, in its length, in its height, in its depth, when you have done that by the power of Christ, you'll be rooted and grounded and firm. A couple uh, El Ninos ago, there was one when I was still in college. And then when El Nino came, I didn't know this, but all of the eucalyptus trees fell down on campus. And I didn't know this, but they told me because eucalyptus trees have shallow roots. You understand? But I saw all the oak trees. They were just fine. They just held their ground. Brothers and sisters, God wants you to experience and to comprehend his love for you to be so firm as to not be shaken, have strong roots, that you will, you'd be confident in his love. 
Notice he says here, you may be able to comprehend, to understand God's love for you and understand all of its implications. Notice he says here, what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of God which surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. What he's saying here, I don't think you could, what he's saying is you need to measure the love of God. I don't think that's what he's saying. But he's using it as a metaphor to say that if you allow the truth of God's love and all of its implications in your life, you're going to be rooted. You're not going to be tossed here and there. You're going to have firm footing. Uh, one commentator said it this way. I do not think that the breadth and length and height and depth represent four specific types or categories of love, but simply suggest its vastness and completeness. In whatever spiritual direction we look, we can see God's love. And he talks about in Ephesians. We see God's love in its breadth when they have Gentile and Jew together. We see God's love in its length when he's loved you before the foundation of the world. We see God's love in its height he has blessed you with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. We see God's love in its depth when you see God reaching down to the lowest level of its depravity to redeem those who are dead in trespasses and sins. God's love can reach any person in any sin, and it stretches from eternity past to eternity future. It, notice he says also, to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge that you may be filled up to the fullness of God. That is, the word there for know is to experience. It's not just one to have studied and to have comprehended, but now God wants you to not only have the objective truth control you, but now to have this subjective experience of knowing that when I walk through trials, I have Christ. Um, lastly, we could move on to here in verse 20 and 21. If the first one is ask for God's help, the second one would be trust, trust in God's help. And he says, now to him who's able to do exceedingly abundant beyond, beyond all that we ask or think, God says, I can blow your imagination more than you could ask for strength, more than the love more than an expression of love than you could ever ask for, I will be with you through the fire according to the power that works within us. Brothers and sisters, live with all these resources. Do not live as a pauper. You have all this strength and all this love behind you. Dwell with Christ. Amen? Father in heaven, thank you that we have come together i am so grateful grateful that you even brought some new friends old friends for your glory but we are just more grateful that you didn't just take care of my past you take care of my now you take care of my now when we need you with our struggles Oh, Father, I pray, would you encourage that saint that needs to be encouraged just this morning. Strengthen them. May they run to the Savior. 
Run to God the Father. I pray also, Father, that if there are those here who do not know you, I pray that you would cause them to seek this one who will love them and forgive them of their sins and be a storehouse for them as well. Thank you for strengthening us in our inner man. Thank you for convincing us of your love by your spirit, by your word. In Jesus' name, amen.